0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable, be open to you Lord, in keeping with your word, you who are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. When Ian Bailey introduced this sermon series a few weeks ago, he outlined what he understood as my reasons for having a series on Haggai and he was too kind to say that um, when I spoke to him back in the summer I was saying I'd like to preach systematically through uh, an Old Testament book but looking at the schedule we have a four-week window uh, so it has to be a short book and really the best one probably seems to be Haggai and you might have expected a mature or spiritual reason but hey that's the honest answer (laughs) however my feeling is that it has brought a timely word for us as a congregation timely in relation to what is happening around us in the Braes area timely in our life as a congregation hopefully timely in your own personal lives as well in the first week Ian spoke on the first chapter and brought home a challenge for each of us are we putting God first and giving ourselves to his purposes today is he top of the list it's a question we need to be regularly asking ourselves Because without that core conviction, the rest crumbles. Then last week we looked at the first half of Haggai chapter 2 and we saw the encouragement of the Lord in that He seeks to help us persevere in our calling by finding strength in His presence and courage through His promises. And when the going gets tough, it is crucial for us to be seeking and trusting the Lord And so I think last week was equally important to hear. But when you heard the words of Haggai today, did you get that feeling? Did you think, hmm, sacrifices, defilement, mildew, lack of fruitfulness? Well, this is going to be the most relevant passage ever. Because if you did, you're clearly more spiritual or knowledgeable than I am. When I sat down at my desk last Sunday night and had a read, my first reaction was, God, why have you got me preaching through Haggai? come on, give me a break if you've no idea how busy a week I've got. But you know, as I've delved into this, as I've read through bits on Deuteronomy, Matthew, John, I feel like God has made this passage a lot clearer for me and hopefully more meaningful. And I hope you'll see its relevance for us and for you as we go through it. To get our heads around this passage, I want to first of all give you what is, I think, the summary message of it, Uh, and then I'll try and unpack why, why I've come to that. So I think the summary message of this passage is, fidelity over formalities leads to fruitfulness. Fidelity over formalities leads to fruitfulness. And I realize I'm doing that typical old school preacher's thing of using alliteration, FFF. And I realize fidelity isn't a word we use in everyday language, but go with me on this. My knowledge of words is limited. And so hopefully you'll see why I've summed up this passage as fidelity over formalities leads to fruitfulness. The first four verses of our reading today are just some of the weirdest, are they not? And seem almost to have no link to the second five verses. But in actual fact they do. And they prepare the way for that second portion. What God is doing there is setting the scene for what is to come and God begins on the positive side of things as we often do. God asks the priests, if someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. And that is a correct answer, for God's law in the Old Testament said that only what originally touched the offering is made holy, holiness does not pass along the line. For example, Leviticus 6, the sin offering is most holy, whatever touches any of its flesh will become holy, but that's as far as it goes, it does not pass along the line. And so with that correct answer, Haggai continues. If a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. And again, that's a correct answer. As God's law said in Numbers, whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. Anything that an unclean person touches becomes unclean, and anyone who touches it becomes unclean till evening. So you can really see that defilement does pass along the line whereas holiness did not. And again, with that correct answer, Haggai continues with a startling word from the Lord. So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. If you had been part of the Jewish people at the time, it would have felt like a slap in the face. Because Haggai is saying here, that the offerings and worship they have been giving are seen as meaningless and ineffectual by the Lord. They are meaningless and ineffectual because they are defiled, they are unholy, they are revolting, even abominable, abominable in God's sight. And God sees these offerings that way because the people themselves are unholy. It sounds really bizarre to us nowadays. But we need to remember that God gave the sacrificial system as a way of maintaining the right relationship between himself and his people. And the people valued that. They valued having a right relationship with God because they wanted to stay as God's people and enjoy his blessing. As a result, if you were to go into the book of Ezra in chapter 3, the first six verses of that chapter outline that one of the first things they did when they returned from exile was to rebuild the altar amongst the temple rubble. And they did that because for the people of the Old Testament, sacrifice was essential to being right with God, and so one of their first priorities was to rebuild the altar and reinstitute the rhythm of sacrifices in the Holy Land. And you might think well that that's really good because obviously they're valuing their relationship with God and they're valuing worship we might even want to kind of applaud them a bit for it unfortunately the people did not continue their reconstruction efforts on the rest of the temple and instead focused their attention on their own homes at the expense of the (coughs) temple And Ian preached on that from Haggai 1. God sends Haggai with a challenging message because they had disobeyed God's call to reconstruct his sanctuary. And as a result of their disobedience, their offerings were unholy because they were unholy. And so the people remained under the judgment of God despite sacrifices. And one example of that outworking is the crops failed. But the point is, the project needed to move beyond the altar stage. God had called His people to build an entire temple structure, not merely an altar, and until they obeyed Him, they were unholy, their sacrifices were unholy, and so all they offered was meaningless. And the people should have known that. The priests especially should have known that. And maybe that's why God, in verse 11, targets them first. Because we find such words as these in the Old Testament. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of ram. It is obedience to the Lord, fidelity to His voice and command that leads to life, to blessing, to fruitfulness, and the priests should have known us. As a result, God withheld His blessing from their crops to get their attention, but even then they didn't turn from their ways and so He sends Haggai to spell it out to them. And thankfully, as we saw at the end of chapter 1, they heeded the prophetic word, for we read. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty their God on the 24th day of the sixth month. They began the work on the temple. They moved beyond the focus on the altar, and so now in chapter 2, three months later to the day. God sends Haggai with a third message, not with a word of challenge, but with a reminder of what had come before and what lies ahead because of their fidelity. Moving into the second portion, verses 15b, the kind of second half of verse 15 into 17, rehearse some of this, for we read, consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple, When anyone came to a heap, that is a a pile of grain, a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. The same principle is here. Sacrifices offered by an unholy people are meaningless and God's judgment remains. The harvest will be pure, p- poor, whether the harvest of grain or the harvest of grape, it bore less fruit because of the people's disobedience. Before and after these very words, however, the Lord gives a message, a word of encouragement, for we read, starting at verse 15 at the top. Now, God give. Now, give careful thought to to this from this day on, and then jumping to verse 18, from this day on, from this twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought, is there yet any seed in the barn? Not until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. At the top there in verse 15, Haggai begins a sentence but then breaks off to remind the people of the past as we've just seen. But with the same words, he returns to that original thread. So we read, from this day on, and then in verse 18, from this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. This day, this 24th day of the ninth month is a crucial day because it marks a turning point. It marks the point when the people show themselves as truly committed to obeying the Lord because they lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. It is a mark of commitment, of intention that they are going to see this through. And because of that intention, because of that obedience, this day also marks a turning point in their relationship with God because He'll now bring blessing and to prove that this is truly of the Lord, a prophetic word, a foretelling of what will come, the Lord highlights and adds something here and I'll change the highlighting for us. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. By this time of the year, mid to late December, there's no seed left in the barn. Is there any seed left in the barn? No, because it's in the ground, it's been planted. And when the people look to the trees and the vines, again, there's no sign that something good is coming. The plants have not borne fruit, even though by this point in the year, they should have. And so into this bleak situation the Lord gives a word of promise through Haggai, a word of certain hope that blessing is coming, fruitfulness lies ahead because they have been obedient, they have shown fidelity to the Lord's voice and command. And so hopefully you can see why I summarized this passage as fidelity over formalities leads (coughs) to fruitfulness fidelity to the Lord's voice and command is of greater worth than formalities than sacrifices ceremonies services for it is fidelity to the Lord's command that leads to fruitfulness to blessing and in our heart I think we know this many other stories I'm sure you could tell where we felt convicted to, to go the right way or directed by the Lord to do something and it has led to life. There are times when I am a terrible husband, when I am grumpy, irritable, you do not want to know me. And there's this nudge of the Lord, the nudge of the Spirit just comes and I know I have to go and seek reconciliation, I have to say sorry and humble myself. And when I hear that voice, that nudge, it has healed the relationship. And I've already spoken with you about the times when the Lord nudged Jill and I to marry sooner than our parents would have wished, but I told you of the good that came from it. Or with Friendship Plus, I shared with them how the Lord led me into ministry and because of fidelity to the command of the Lord to leave chemical engineering and go to study youth work, a path opened up to me that has led to so much good. If I had kept to formalities, to the way things should be done, the right order of things, then then I would have missed out on so much life and blessing. Maybe there's somewhere that just now in your life the Lord is calling you to step out, to be obedient and with that may come life. But conversely, I wonder if part of our problem in the Church of Scotland is because of this principle. We as a denomination have not kept fidelity to the Lord's commands very well, but we sure have kept to the formalities. And as a result, I wonder if the Lord has held back his blessing. For example, we know we have a shortage of ministers, but our ministers have been a large part of the problem. Often preaching a less than true gospel. Often encouraging the church along paths that are not in keeping with God's commands. And I wonder if a shortage of ministers is maybe God's judgment on us. Maybe he is calling less people into ministry until such a time as we and those in ministry keep better fidelity to his commands. And then he may bring blessing and fruitfulness. I can't prove it, but it's what I've been thinking about and praying about this week. Another thought that has struck me this week is, I wonder what the New Testament equivalent of this passage is, because we don't live under the Old Testament, and so God doesn't deal with us quite the same as the Israelites. There's not a list of blessings and curses in the New Testament as there is in the book of Deuteronomy, but in reading up on the book of Deuteronomy, I was directed towards our second passage today. John chapter 15. And in that chapter, I think we see that fidelity to the command of Jesus also leads to fruitfulness. We see it in a number of verses. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. If we remain in Jesus we will bear much fruit. To remain in Jesus means to obey his commands and his command here is to love each other, to lay down our lives. Now, obviously, Jesus taught many things beyond just love for one another He taught us to love have love for God and love for neighbor and, and enemy so fidelity to the command of Jesus here surely includes not only love for friends and those in the church but the principle is that fidelity to the command of Jesus leads to fruitfulness but that fruitfulness only comes about because of showing fidelity to the command of Jesus to love, to love well, to love by laying down our lives. And so that got me thinking, I've had to do quite a lot of that this week, where do we need to grow in our love for others? Where are we being called to lay down our lives for others, for one another? Fourteen years of marriage between Jill and I have rubbed off a fair few rough edges, there's still a lot to go mostly on my side. Uh, Some of those rough edges have been serious things, some have been smaller but still important things. For example, and I'm sure I must be the only one with this, I am terrible at scheduling stuff and putting things in the diary or making a decision about something without checking with Jill and including her in the process. So probably not familiar to you, you're all super holy people. I've had to learn that she and I are a partnership and that to partner well with her to love her well means to include her in the decision making and scheduling still working on it it might sound a silly way of illustrating this but hopefully you get the idea that the tensions in our relationships can show us where we may need to grow in love for one another and where we might need to lay down our lives so, I wonder, what tensions would you pick on? What would you highlight? There's a question. Turn to your neighbour. No, joking. <laughs> I am not the font of all knowledge on this, so, uh, and I don't see and hear everything, but across the Western church, and across our denomination, maybe especially our denomination, there can appear at times a tension between the generations, specifically there there can be a feeling at times that priority is now being given to our younger generations, that things are being changed for their benefit, that money is being given to them. I wonder if you would have picked up on that tension, I wonder if you resonate with that feeling, I wonder if you have that feeling for what we do here at Brighton's. And if you do feel that way, if that's a a tension you feel maybe even here, then maybe we need to remember the words of Jesus, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. It is fidelity to this that will bring forth greater fruit in our own lives and maybe through us to the wider world in church and to our young people. And it might seem horribly unfair. This place, this this way of worship even, you have grown used to and it is precious to you and I am I am defending uh, you uh, in a lot of places, I, I, I v- want to make this a place where we can all come together and worship, but, but Jesus says greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends and, and to raise this might sound hard because Because you've funded the church for decades and this is your place of worship and your way of worship and it's your time and your sweat that has has kept this place here and vibrant but when it comes to our young people I think we need to lay down our lives for them and that might include, might include our preferences, our time, our money, Because you know or you may not know that we have a short window to convince them that this congregation loves them unconditionally and that this Christian faith has got something of relevance. Because if we don't convince them of this, then by the time they are, I was going to say 10 or 11, it's probably even younger than that. Younger than 10 or 11, I'd say. If we don't convince them by the time they're that age, they'll walk, they will refuse to come to church. And this gets personal for me because my daughter Hope is three years old and we'll be here God willing as a family for at least five years, maybe as many as twenty or more, you might want me out sooner than that, (laughs) it is here that Hope's faith in its formative year will either be helped or hindered. And in 20 years time, when she is a young adult, what do you want Hope's memory to be? That this was a place, a community, who gave themselves in love, who (coughs) laid down their lives for her, such that her faith blossomed and she grew into a woman of God? Or do you want her to look back on 20 years, in 20 years time? on how we clung to our life, to our way of things, such that it stymied her faith. And you might feel like I'm using emotional blackmail and this is unfair and it all suits you Scott, but let me admit, I have to face this too. This isn't just anyone who's over 18, anyone who's over 18, this is for you. Because when hope gets to five. 10, 15, how she worships is not going to be how I worship and to be honest at three there's times when she says this is boring, <laughs> thanks dear to, to daughter. This is for me as much as any of us, we need to lay down our lives for our children, not just for hope but for every child we have contact with as a congregation because Jesus said greater love has no one than this and it is by fidelity to the command of Jesus that we will abide in him and only by abiding in him does his life then flow through us impacting our own lives and then impacting the laws of the lives of those around us because fidelity leads to fruitfulness not formalities. As younger adults we need to also remember that we're called to lay down our lives for, for those who are in the older generations and that might also include giving time to them, taking notice, maybe inviting them round for a cup or a meal or sending a card or giving them a call uh, because it's a beautiful thing to see all the generations come together. it's this this command is for us all and so don't please don't feel like i'm just targeting you i'm speaking to myself as much as and to my generation as much as anyone because friends i think i think we can know our fruitfulness in our own lives and our fruitfulness through our lives to others around us beyond anything we have known or imagined but fruitfulness comes by fidelity not formality, and in our day by fidelity to the command of Jesus to lay down our lives for others, to love others like He loved us. In our day, in our time of change and uncertainty, I pray we also may be a people who show fidelity to the command of the Lord, that it bears fruit for generations to come. May it be so. Amen.